Go ahead and be seated. We're kicking off a new series today um, that is going to be about the names of God. And if you've been reading along with the SOAP plan that the church puts out, we put out a reading schedule to read the Bible in a year. You can hop in at any point. But if you've been reading along with that, you've just made it through Leviticus, which if you've ever read the Bible, it feels good to make it through Leviticus because Leviticus is like rules and regulations and not super exciting But there is a theme that you'll see happening throughout Leviticus of a term that just gets used over and over, and it's where it says, the Lord your God. And there's just so much truth that when we read that, it just feels very blank, and it's, okay, Lord and God, and and it's just a name, but there's so much more to that. Because the name that you use for someone, it tells you something about your relationship with them. And I'm going to share some things that you do not have permission to repeat, all right? That might sound weird in church, but this is just a truth. Because the fact is, there's some other names that I am known by in my life. And it's not an alias that you're going to find on a police report or anything like that. But there's a truth, and this is probably true of you, that there's some people in your life, in your childhood, who know you by a different name than what people call you right now. So for me, growing up, I was known as Little Paul growing up. Which even when you're a small child, there's a little thing of you that's like, don't call me Little. But my dad's name is Paul as well, and so you've got Big Paul and Little Paul running around. So if I hear somebody from behind me say, hey, Little Paul, I know that's someone who changed my diapers. Like, I know that's someone who knew us back when we lived in the trailer on the ranch down in North Naples, like from the olden days, if I hear Little Paul. That's somebody from the Erminger family. If I hear someone from behind me call out, hey, Paulie. Don't really want you calling me Polly either because that's reserved for people who lace up some skates and play hockey with me. If I hear anybody call me Polly, I know that we have played hockey together and that's how they know me because for whatever reason, any locker room I end up playing hockey, even if they've never known me before, they end up calling me Polly within just a few minutes and it just, it happens. I know that that. If someone calls me son, I know that's my mom. It tells me about a relationship really easy. If someone calls me daddy, I know that they want something. Because otherwise, it's just dad or father all the time, right? If someone calls me honey or baby, it sure better be Tia. Nobody else is calling me that other than her. And no, you're not allowed to call me that either. Some of you guys call me Pastor Paul and some of you guys call me Paul. I introduce myself as Paul. But the title pastor, to be pastored is to be known, loved, and challenged. And some of you guys have allowed me the role in your life to know you, to love you, and challenge you in the way that you live your life for God. And you call me pastor. It's one of the reasons why I don't demand that people call me pastor. I don't always introduce myself that way. I call myself Paul because when you choose to allow me to be your pastor, you can call me Pastor Paul. And that's great, but that's never anything that I push after. But it's one of those things. It's part of a relationship that if you allow me to pastor you, then you can call me that. But otherwise, I'm, I'm Paul. I'm a follower of Christ, and I, I, I am privileged to get to pastor those who call Gulfside Church their home. Names, they tell you something about the relationship that you're in. You guys have been called names that let you know the relationship is not doing so well, right? You've had names like that before. The name that you use matters. And in the same way, in our culture right now, when we talk about God, God is such a sterile term. Like, it's such a safe term for anyone, anywhere, in any circumstance to call out to, to the fact, you know, I, I made a movie that is profane and destructive to people and families and culture, and I won an award, and I want to thank God for it. 
<laughs> I mean, every politician, every actor, every person who gets caught up in something that they shouldn't have been caught up in, they say that God is on their side. But it's very easy to do so because when you just use the very sterile term God, we don't even know what religion or what you believe about God. Just that there's some sort of exterior being that you call out to. And so God is a very sterile term to me. Like it doesn't mean a lot. It doesn't tell me anything about your relationship with God when you use the term God. But there are so many other names in Scripture. And this is the reason I want to drive after this today. That especially in Leviticus, so many times we see this, this sentence or it ends a sentence or it's part of a command. And it says, the Lord your God. And God feels so sterile when we read it that way because we're reading it in English. But if you dig deeper down into the original language that it's written in, you'll find that the term God, there's so many different names that are used for God in Hebrew and in Greek. And so I want to dig into that and just to kind of give you a little information. In the NASB, there's 4,358 different times we see the word God written in English. There's 7,753 times we see the word Lord written. But in Scripture, there's 950 different names and titles for God that are written in Scripture. 950. I was going to print off the list of names, but it was going to be 208 pages long, and I just couldn't justify the tree's death for that. So there are 950 different titles for God in Scripture. Because the more that you get to know Him, the more that you have a relationship with Him, the more things that you know Him by. You know Him as healer. You know Him as redeemer. You know Him as savior. And there's so many different descriptions that your heart will begin to cry out to God. And so I'm going to pull a passage from Leviticus. It could have been any of these passages, but Leviticus 19.34. We're going to put it up on the screen as I read it. It says, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And I apologize, I read that out of a different description in my notes, but this last section where it says, I am the Lord your God, that's the part that I just feel like gets breezed over that I want to go into a little bit today. And as we get started in this, and we're going to look first at that word Lord where it's written there. You might have noticed as you read along or as you've seen in your Bibles that sometimes when Lord is written, it's written in all capital letters. And they're doing that to try to indicate to you which word is there. But before I get into that word, I want to remind you of something that someone probably told you when they thumped you on your head because you said God in a way that they felt like was, quote, vain. And I want to remind you of Exodus 20, verse 7, that that tells us not to use the Lord's name in vain. But I want to start with a description of that because I don't think many of us have been taught what it means to use the Lord's name in vain. The word vain means with a sense of emptiness or hollowness. And so saying God's name, which first of all, understand the, the, the division between the word God and his name, that there is actually a name for God that is in scripture that that commandment is referencing to, to not use the Lord's name in vain. And so the Hebrew people were very careful about when they would speak God's name as it was written in Scripture, that they would speak it with a sense of reverence and a sense of awe and a sense of worship that came from their heart. And this was supposed to keep them connected to just the same mentality that this God that I know and I love and that has provided and made a place for us and done miracles for us. When I say his name, I'm going to say it with that same sense of worship when I sing to him in the gathering of his people. That when I serve him and I bring worship before him, I'm going to say his name with that same mentality because he is great and powerful. 
And he deserves to be worshipped. And so even when I utter his name, I'm going to make sure that there is worship in my heart when I say it. And so to this end, even when they wrote down the name of God on anything, they would take the vowels out of it so that if you read it and you were surprised by it, you wouldn't even read it without having the opportunity to kind of stop yourself because the name isn't fully written without the vowels. And so you wouldn't even think the Lord's name without the full sense of who he is. And so there should be a true connectivity because the name for God was reserved for those who had a relationship with God. And so there should be this connectivity between if I know his name, if I'm someone who's called by his name, when I say it, I'm going to say it with the proper amount of worship and reverence. And the name for God that is written in this passage is Yahweh or Jehovah. And this is an interesting thing because, once again, this hasn't been taught on too much, but Jehovah and Yahweh actually are the same Hebrew word that we transliterate into English in two different ways. There are two different schools of thoughts of how to say it, but Jehovah and Yahweh are actually the same exact word. I'm going to take you guys to a little bit of Bible school. Is that okay? Are you guys going to follow me here on this? Uh, there is some application to it, but I, I, I had time off and I can't help it. I get a little bit wordy on things and, and this is going to be known. This is going to be understood and I believe it's going to inspire worship. But you're coming with me today? All right, all right good, good. All right. So Jehovah, Yahweh is the name that was there and, and the name itself, Yahweh, which I believe is the more accurate translation and most theologians agree on that. As it was written and the vowels were taken off, this is just an interesting side note. The way that it would be said without the vowels in Yahweh would be just like a breath. Like that's the way that it would be said. And it's interesting that even the full Yahweh, it still, it has that breath kind of sound to it. And the Hebrew people, it would be a reminder for them of part, part of calling out the name of God was a reminder that he is the one who put the breath of life into us. Now, the word Lord, I, in our culture, the word Lord gets used in, in knighthoods and movies and if someone's lording something over you, there's a sense of understanding of the word Lord. I mean, almost like there's a difference between father and daddy. Like there's, there's relationship connotation that's different. The word Lord carries some meaning, but you understand that when you speak the word Yahweh, it means something else. And this is so foreign to the common prayer life of people, to the common way that we think, because when we read our scriptures, we don't see Yahweh written out. We don't see Jehovah written out in very many places. We see just Lord written. And especially as you're going through Leviticus and as we get into Numbers and we get into other places in Scripture and our reading plan as a church, I just want to pique some curiosity that as you come across a place where it says Lord or, or God, I want you to begin to ask the question, why does it say that? Like what, what, what word is under there? Why is Lord in all caps? Because the way that names are written, it changes the way that we relate, we relate to something. Just like if we say Lord to God, that means one thing. If, it, if we're saying Yahweh, I believe that it carries a different weight in our soul when we say it. And we know the way names are used, it means something. Because if you've raised children, you've had a time where they have worked up the absolute gumption to test something they've never done before. And they will have an opportunity where they rise up and they will say, Hey, Paul, I told you to get me lunch. And you're like, excuse me, child, <laughs> you don't get to use my first name. That is not your connection to me. You're not some distant person. You call me dad. You call me daddy. And you call me in five minutes when, I let, when I'm going to let you out of your room because you're done for right now. 
Like, like we know that name, like it carries weight in things. When you call someone, if you call, there's so many people who've done this to like make funny videos where they'll be taking a video of their significant other and they'll call them by their first name and they'll automatically be like, what did I do? Did I forget something? Is it an anniversary? Why are you upset? Why aren't you calling me baby? Why aren't you calling me honey? We understand that in so many relationships, the word, the term that we use as we speak to them, it carries a meaning about the relationship. And so true in your relationship with God. And I believe that it's so easy to get into this sterile tone of you know, talking to God and praying to God that we miss out on the opportunity when we are better versed in the way that Scripture describes our Heavenly Father. Just even a term like that. That when we pray, we speak Heavenly Father. Or, or the Lord who provides. Yahweh. The, the one who has no beginning and no end, and that's actually what Yahweh begins to speak to. It, it speaks to the self-existent one, the eternal one, the unchanging one. Those are the meanings that are beneath the, the word Yahweh. That, that God is not just a God. It's not just that he's a supreme, that he's something that's outside of this world. It's that he is the one who was the first thing, the one who created all things. Nothing was before him. Nothing is more powerful than him. He is eternal. He doesn't gain new information as time passes. He is unchanged. And so you can trust him knowing that he is never surprised by what is ahead. When you speak to Yahweh, you are saying, the God who has never changed, I can trust this into your hand. This, this struggle that I have, this battle that I have, this worry that I have, Yahweh, I know I can entrust it to your hands. This is the term for God that David used when he stood before Goliath. If you've been through church at all, you've probably come across the story of David and Goliath. It was where a young man named David, who would be a future king, he was undersized, outclassed, standing up against a warrior who was way bigger, way stronger, more respected than him, and it seemed impossible. And this is what David said to the Philistine in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of of the Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. David's attitude towards this battle that seemed impossible to all the other warriors who were better prepared to fight that fight than he, than he was. His confidence was high because his relationship with God was solid. He said, the God who never changes, the God who is self-existent, these are the things that Yahweh means. I come to you in his name. And so if you think your sword and your shield and your javelin are going to protect you against the God who is eternal, you're a fool. In the same way, your relationship with God and the way that you speak to him, it should be built on this confidence that the God that I am praying to, he is eternal, he is all-powerful, and he loves me enough that he told me his name. He's not just God up there. He is Yahweh. And that same passage that we, we pulled from Leviticus, it says, the Lord, your God. And, and once again, it's not just a common word for God there. The word that is used in this passage is Elohim. Elohim is the term that's used in Hebrew for God in this passage. And in Genesis chapter one, verse one, that we'll put on the screen, it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. One of the first things to, to give you some Bible school about this term Elohim is that this is the plural form of the word Elo, 
Eloha, not Eloha, we're not Hawaiian. Elo, Eloha, uh, I speak sometimes, but sometimes I don't. Eloi is the, the singular, and Elohim is the plural. And this is a really interesting thing to understand as you look at Genesis 1, because as you get to Colossians chapter 1, it describes who Christ is, and it says Christ was present, that everything was created through him at the very beginning. And so when you look and you say, why didn't they use the singular here in Genesis chapter 1? It's because it's right there at the beginning saying, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were involved in the creation at the very beginning. And he, in Elohim, it means the supreme one or the mighty one. This word was sometimes used to describe judges who were all powerful in their country. The Elohim. It's the ancient name that was used for, the, for, for God. And these characteristics, this term Elohim will sometimes be shortened to just El in the, in the Old Testament as well. You'll see times where it says El Shaddai. The, the, the God who, who is all-sufficient or almighty, El Elyon, who is the God most high. And, and I bring up the plural and the singular because I think that it's worth noting that at the very beginning is Elohim, the plural God. But when Jesus was dying on the cross and he had those last words that he spoke before he died and he cried out, Elo, Elo. And he said, my God, my God. He was crying out, my God, the singular version of Elohim. Why was that? Because in Genesis 1, when it describes the plural, it was describing both Jesus and the heavenly father in heaven. And when Jesus was dying on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, he cried out in the singular because he was speaking just to his heavenly father in that time which is a beautiful intricacy that you won't be able to pick up on if all we ever go to is just the top layer of looking at things in the way that our Bibles are written. But you live in a beautiful and wonderful day where you can grab a study Bible that will have notes in the bottom for you as you read this. You can go to studylight.org or biblegateway.com and you can read and it'll have additional notes or you can join a small group where you can be connected to other people and they can share the wisdom that they've had. But as you read scripture, there is so much more to, to what we just take out where it just says God. He is Elohim. He, he is the mighty, the supreme one. And, and the way that we pray to God, it tells you about your relationship with him. And so things like Heavenly Father, Elohim, Yahweh, they're things that I believe as Christians we should begin to work into the way that we speak to God and speak about God. And not to be showy, not to show off knowledge, not to be puffed up, but because when you say just even, even if you keep it in the most basic English of say, you're the God who provides. So though right now I'm worried about having enough, you are the God who provides so I know I can count on you. I feel like everything is falling apart, but you are the God who saves. And so I know you will save me from what is going on and I know you will see me through it. You are the God who heals You are the God who takes me by the right hand. You pick your description. You don't have to be fancy with Hebrew words, but I want you to begin to connect the meaning of what God does in your life to your prayers because to just talk about a God who is out there, I believe is to, to miss because there's terms like father. Father is a term like God where it means so many different things to so many different people. Some of you, when I say the word father, your immediate connection is negative. Father is a guy who should have been there, but he wasn't. If 
Father is a guy who maybe was there, but he was abusive and he was destructive and I'm trying to stay away from him as much as I can. And some of you guys hear father and you're like, you, you think of you know, navy blue sandals and long black socks with shorts and like some goofy smelly hat, but a guy who was always there when you needed him. When you hear father, you think of somebody who showed up to all the games, who tucked you in and prayed over you at night, who was faithful to your mom, and you have completely different ideas of father. And in the same way that you understand people have different ideas of father, understand people have different ideas when you say the word God. And scripture gives us all of these beautiful descriptions of relationship in God, because to just say God, I mean, to you, when you hear the word God, is that, do you think of a God who's absent? It's like, you know, he's there, but he's just not involved in your life. Or do you think of a God who is present? Let me lean in a little bit. In your household, the way that you lead your household, have you made God present? Have you asked God to be present? Have you put him as the foundation for the way that you lead your house? Or is he absent from it and God is here at Gulfside on Sunday mornings and you come to visit him once in a while? When we say God, do we think of a God who is around or a God who is involved? Do you see God's hand at work in your day? I mean, that's what, that, that's the, the whole thrust of these terms of Yahweh, of Elohim, is that there's more to the name than just the fact that he is. He's someone who wants to be at work in your life. But if we continue to live our life apart from him, he will be the God who is ignored instead of the God who is worshiped. And he deserves to be worshiped in your house. He deserves to be lifted high. His name should be protected as it moves from your mind to your heart to your lips. His name should be spoken with reverence because he is worthy of it. He is endless. He is eternal. And, it, and there's this truth of saying, as we protect the word of the, the name of God as it leaves our lips, you can easily see how that would become just a rule that gets applied to people instead of something that actually moves us towards worship. And so many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the Hebrew people and Hebrew rulers, they fell into rules around the, the word, the name of God. But that's not what this is about. It's understanding that the name of God, it should invoke a passion and a worship. It should invoke a relationship. And that is what this all drives at. When you see Lord and when you see God written in scripture, does your heart respond with that is the one who I love and who loves me back? Because we could understand all of the reverence and all of the information and all of the things that should be feared and respected about God and scripture, but it could never actually be part of our heart and our life. And this is what Jesus warned against. And he used the same terms, but he used the Greek equivalents. And band, if you guys will begin to make your way up, I'm gonna begin to move towards closing this thing up. In Matthew 22, verse 37, what I want you to see as we begin to wrap up this message talking about the Lord and God, as it says it in scripture, when it talks about Yahweh and it talks about Elohim, in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus was being asked, what is the most important commandment? What is the most important one that we need to follow? And, and Jesus said in response, you shall love the Lord your God. There it is again, the Lord your God. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now listen to me. All of the godly men that we have records of in scripture who actually got to see God, they got to see the Lord, they got to see some glimpse of Yahweh's glory, they were all terrified 
at how incredible he was. And it built further reverence in them. But their movement wasn't just to rules. It was that I can trust him even more and more. I can expect him to do even greater things. Jesus being asked, what's the biggest rule? What's the most important rule that we need to follow? His response wasn't, be very careful about not saying dirty words. His response wasn't, be very careful about following all the religious rules. His response wasn't to make sure that you are involved in all of the things at church. His response wasn't to make sure your clothes are pressed and ironed and buttoned up and that you look the best at church on Sundays. That's not where the concern was. It wasn't about the articles of worship that were brought into the temple and the sacrifices. It wasn't about that. When he said, what is the most important thing? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now listen to me. God cannot be an add-on to your life. It won't work. It'll feel broken. It'll feel fake. It'll drain you out. You don't have enough energy to live that way where God is an add-on to your life. He has to be a foundation. And when you build your life on His principles, on your relationship with Him, all these other things will be added into their place. All the things that you've been trying to pull into your life, when you live your life according to the principles of Scripture, everything else will get added. And you will experience this, and Jesus wrote it right here. As you love Him, the way that you love Him, it can't be with part of your heart. It's not going to work. Your marriage is not going to work when you're giving God part of your heart. He needs all of it so that you can be the best spouse that you can be. To be the best parent you're going to be, you've got to give God all of your heart first, and then you will be able to parent those children well. To be the best friend you can be to someone else, you've got to give God all of your heart, and then you're going to be the best influence you can be to them. And the way that you love them is with all of your soul and with all of your mind. There's going to be, I also want to focus, there's going to be times where it feels like, and this, this is asking a lot of me to live for God. Yeah, it is. It's asking for everything. Jesus didn't back down from that. He didn't hide it. It's going to cost you everything, but you're going to get even more in return. Even more love, even more peace. Even eternal life. And this incredible, powerful, supreme authority who has made his name known to us, Yahweh, the Lord, the one who created all things, Elohim, has made himself known to us through the life of Jesus Christ. And he has invited you into a relationship with him. And you'll have a decision to make about that relationship. Will I try to give God part of me? But he has said he will receive all of you. All your mistakes, all of your history, all of your hang-ups, all of your difficulties. He will take all of you. As you build your life following Him, you'll experience the peace that only comes from walking with Him. So maybe you've known Christ for a long time, but maybe your relationship has become very sterile and stale. Maybe it's time to revisit. What are the names that I am calling God by? Is He the God who's been around, or is He the God who's involved? Is He the Lord of the earth, 
Or is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your decisions? Is he the Lord of your tomorrows? Because this is what you have a decision to make. Will you honor God? Will you live for God today? Will you wake up tomorrow and put him first? When you speak his name, will there be worship in your heart? Or will he be a God who's out there? You're invited to his family. Yahweh, we thank you. We worship you. Just even at the mention of your name, Yahweh, our heart responds in worship. We thank you that your power is on display through the stars and the sky. And we trust that your power will be on display through the needs in our life as we trust them into your hands, as we walk in your ways. Jesus, we confess that you are Lord. We believe in our heart that, God, you raised him from the dead. And we know that as our faith is placed in you, that our sins are forgiven. So we call you Savior. We call you Lord. It's in your son's name we pray.